You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Baseball. This is, in fact, our very first Thursday show. We've been moved from Wednesdays to Thursdays. We're still on Mondays and Fridays, of course, and on Sundays uh, at noon Eastern. So thanks for dropping in. And uh, I am very, very psyched for this show. We are going to have a great show today. Tons of news. We haven't been on since Monday, so there's a lot to catch up on. Uh, lots of big news. Of course, David Price will be talking about him very shortly. And a lot of Phillies talk. I made, a, made the comment. On the show, uh, I think uh, maybe over the weekend, uh, talking about how we could do a whole segment just on the Phillies prospects. Well, we're going to be doing the bulk of a whole show <laughs> on the Phillies, not just the prospects, but the pitching staff. Uh, we may dig into the closer situation there. And no better person to dig into all that with than Liz Rocher. Uh, Liz, welcome very much to the show. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, really, uh, really thrilled to have you on today, uh, Liz. Uh, Liz writes for Big League Stew, and um, you know, I just thought you wrote for the Good Fight, but uh, on your Twitter profile, it says that you are the managing editor and supreme blog mistress. So I don't, I don't want to sell you short uh, on <laughs> on those duties. Uh, so uh, I know that keeps you all it keeps you very busy, and I have a, an embarrassing uh, admission to make about Big League Stew. It's been around for a long time. I don't know exactly how long, but I think it went back to fairly early times in the internet. And when I first saw Big League Stew, I thought that was a person. Like there was somebody <laughs> who called himself Big League Stew. And uh, I'm so, amazed I guess that that's you. happened at some point yet. <laughs> person claiming that I have, I have your blog name, you have to stop using it. So. <laughs> So uh, great, great stuff there at Big League Stew by all the Big League Stew writers, not just Stew. Uh, well, like I said, Liz, there's a lot to dig into, so let's let's get right into it. And the big news, of course, today, David Price got an MRI on his left elbow, and now he's going to the NFL Combine to go see Dr. James Andrews. And, of course, those are three words that you never want to hear associated with uh, any athlete, Dr. James Andrews. So, uh how uh, how worried are you, Liz, uh, for your your upcoming drafts? I mean, are you going anywhere near David Price? I'm. I don't know. I'm worried and sad. Like I, I mostly sad. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like picking him up would be understandable, but I I hear his name and I stay away from everybody because I feel like you don't go see him unless you feel like that's kind of it. No matter what, he's going to miss a significant amount of time. I feel. I mean, I think yeah, no, I, I an opinion from Dr. James, Dr. James Andrews. I mean, it's not like, oh, everything's fine. Go back to pitching. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. I mean, I almost felt silly asking you that because, of course, it's, you know, it, it just feels like doom any time that we see see that news. Um, so not not great news at all. And obviously, if you've got a, a if you've had a draft and you, you've already taken David Price, uh, that's uh, an alarming thing from a fantasy perspective, of course, just from. You know, any perspective, this is this is not great news. If you've got a draft coming up, uh, I know I certainly would be avoiding price and, and waiting a long, long time. And, and I imagine probably you could now wait a long, long time to draft David Price. And then, of course, there's already 
thoughts about the, the fallout here in the Red Sox rotation. It would seem that Eduardo Rodriguez would be the most likely person to step in, but there's Joe Kelly. Uh, I suppose maybe there's Henry Owens or Brian Johnson, but I, I think Eduardo Rodriguez uh, would be the main candidate, and he finished very, very strong last year. So uh, I imagine his stock will be going way, way up. So that's uh, obviously a situation uh, in Fort Myers to watch there. And also some other Red Sox news. Uh, Hanley Ramirez is going to skip the World Baseball Classic due to his sore shoulder. Reportedly, that shoulder is not hurting him in terms of his swing, but it is making it difficult for him to field. And, uh, you know, that's a situation to watch and, and certainly in past episodes when we've talked about Hanley Ramirez and I've been a bit down on him because I've, I'm just never sure what kind of health he's going to bring into a season. So that's also a situation. I think that's a little bit worrisome. The nationals may be, and this is, I think no surprise to anybody maybe trading Derek Norris. Now that they've signed Matt Weeders, and if they can't trade him, they may just release him. So that's, uh, not particularly great news there, but I think once the, the Nationals signed Weeders, that Norse's value was already uh, pretty much in the tank. So Anthony Rizzo is day-to-day with a tight back, not expected to be a serious injury. And Liz, here's some news that could have some real uh, fancy consequences. According to the Twin Cities Pioneer Press, Byron Buxton may be uh, the leadoff hitter for the Twins, which would, which would uh, push Brian Dozier down to bat second. What... Uh, does this change your feeling about either Byron Buxton or Brian Dozier for for this season? I don't think it does, but I'm someone who doesn't necessarily value leadoff hitters as much as I think some people do. Um, I guess fantasy-wise, it's an incredibly important thing. I feel like more in life, I don't value leadoff hitters as much as everyone else does. But <laughs> um, <laughs> for fantasy, it certainly does have implications, I guess, but... I don't think it changes how I would how it would do anything. Well, yeah, I mean, it, look, if if uh, Buxton can get the leadoff spot and if he sticks there, that's certainly much better for him than if he's batting much further down in the order. Like you said, from a fantasy perspective, that matters. I think for Dozier, moving to second is a good thing because it may hurt his run scoring a little bit, but it's going to help his RBI potentially a lot more. But there is a big uh, a big contingency here. Buxton last season got on base at a 284 clip. So that couldn't be necess- that might not be good for either him or Dozier because I don't know how you stay in the late leadoff spot if you're not getting on base at even a, a 29% clip. And if he does, then that's not really great for Brian Dozier and his RBI potential. But Buxton in September when he did get hot last year, his OBP was 357. So if we see that Buxton Whole different story for both players. So a lot of, I think, a lot of play there in terms of what kind of results we could see for Byron Buxton. Sure, and I guess it depends on how often that they might actually change the lineup, how, you know, how often they tend to do that. Because I know some teams tend to throw out the same general lineup every single day. And some mix it up a whole lot. Yeah, and again, if Buxton isn't able to get on base, then I think that could be a really fluid situation. Maybe Dozier goes back to lead off. So I think that's a mm-hmm. point very, very well taken. Now in other lineup news uh, with a player with a similar sounding name, not Buxton, but Broxton, <laughs> Keon Broxton, <laughs> according to, I, I actually get them mixed up a little bit because of those names. Uh, Milwaukee, the Milwaukee journal journal Sentinel reports that uh, the Brewers manager, Craig council 
wants to bat, uh, bat Broxton, not necessarily the top spot, but near the top. So I would assume either first, maybe second. And last year, Broxton was typically hitting low in the order about seventh or eighth. So there could be a similar upgrade for Broxton that we could expect from Buxton. And really, it's not only similar names, but similar profiles. Both players that strike out a lot, but can compensate for that with some power and speed. So uh, do you have a preference here? Let's, let's just assume both players are hitting at or near the top of the order. Do you have a preference for Buxton or Broxton or just flip a coin? I don't know. I feel like it's wrong to say flip a coin, but <laughs> I still feel like I have no idea what either of them might end up doing this season at all. Like you could forecast whatever, but I personally don't feel like I have a good idea of whether either of them are going to be terribly successful as everyone wants uh, as successful as everyone wants them to be. So I feel like it, flipping a coin can't really hurt you that much. Yeah, it's how I make many of my best picks. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might do it this case, but actually, in my rankings, I do the have the enemy. Yeah, for me, it, it definitely is. <laughs> in my preseason rankings, I do have Buxton ahead. And in some ways, I, I all things being equal, I like Broxton a little better because he uh, at least he takes a walk. And again, if he's higher up in the order, that's something that could mm-hmm. really help him. I just think the Brewers, they've got they've built such depth in that lineup, and I could see Broxton maybe getting traded, getting getting benched. You know, Lewis Brinson's making some noise in spring training. If he comes up midseason, maybe Broxton's somebody, if he doesn't get off to a good start, maybe he goes either to the minors or gets traded or goes to the bench. Uh, so it just seems like Buxton's going to get more of a shot. So I've got him ranked a mm-hmm. little bit higher. Uh, we actually got a question about Keon Broxton. We got a lot of uh, Twitter questions for today, which is great. Uh, this one's from Jeff Griffin at Ten uh, Foot Clown Pole. All right, uh, he's asking, "What's the most you'd spend on Keon Broxton in an auction draft with a three hundred thirty-five dollar budget?" You know, I again because of that uncertainty of role and uncertainty of performance, Liz, that you pointed out with Broxton. I don't think I'd go more than maybe like $4, to be honest. I mean, uh, he's I do have ranked him ranked as pretty much of a late rounder. So, and I, as such, I like him, so I would go more than $1 or $2, but not a lot more. Makes sense to me. All right, so we will not be getting into a bidding war anytime soon with each other. We've got some no. Mets news. Uh, Mets right now playing the Marlins. Uh, and last I looked, it was going well for them. Uh, according to MLB.com, the Mets don't expect a suspension ruling on uh, closer Jerry's Familia until after the World Baseball Classic. Also, uh, on David Wright, he was diagnosed with the right shoulder impingement. He went for a second opinion, and that confirmed the initial diagnosis. So he's not going to be able to throw for at least a couple of weeks, and I think we can definitely assume that Jose Reyes will be starting on opening day at third base. And one more Mets piece of news here. Um, Zach Wheeler is scheduled to make his first Grapefruit League start on March 10th. So he is still going to be in that competition for the fifth starters uh, spot with Robert Giselman. And uh, do you have any favorite there, Liz, between Wheeler and Giselman? I would probably say Giselman, if only because, you know, uh, Zach Wheeler has not pitched for quite a long time. Yeah, and I just don't trust the health. And no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if it, if it just if he was totally healthy, 
I would prefer him, even though I have some doubts about his ability to, to pitch with control. But, and again, I think that may have been related to health issues in the past for, for Wheeler, but uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm pretty much passing on Wheeler this year, but he'll make a start on March 10th. We'll see how he looks and those things could change. Moving on to the Astros, according to the Houston Chronicle, Lance McCullers is uh, going to throw a bullpen session today, today being Thursday. And if all goes well, he'll pitch a sim game on Saturday, and the next step after that would be an in-game appearance. And uh, that's all part of the Astros' plan. Be very cautious with McCuller, McCullers, who had uh, elbow issues last year. Luke Weaver, bad news for him, um, although maybe just mildly bad news. He left his second appearance of spring training with back spasms, but it was reportedly just a precautionary move for Weaver. So hopefully that won't set him back too far in his battle for the Cardinals fifth starter uh, competition with Trevor Rosenthal and Michael Waka. There's a bit of trade, Liz, and if there's going to be a trade, you know there's a good chance it's going to involve the Mariners. This one did. Oh my God. Uh, yes. Another one. Jerry DePoto strikes again, uh, this time with the Dodgers. He got uh, right-handed starting pitching prospect Chase DeJong and gave up shortstop Drew Jackson and right-hander Anuris uh, Zabala uh, heading back to L.A. And they've just been stockpiling AAA pitchers this offseason. So, Liz, I know you wrote about the Segura trade with Walker, uh, Taiwan Walker going to Arizona. And at that time, it was kind of, it was a bit of a head scratching move because the one real weakness the Mariners had was starting pitching depth and they gave up a, a bona fide starter. Well, all they've been doing since then is stockpiling pitching depth, so I think they're okay now. And yeah. one last uh, bit of news before we head into break: um, Twins outfield prospect Eric Kirilov. He's uh, one of the MLB.com's top 100 prospects. He was the 15th pick overall in last year's draft. He's uh, having Tommy John surgery, and so he's going to miss the 2017 season, though he could be back in time for Instructional League in the fall. But uh, pretty much a lost year for Alex Kirilov, but still should be a a big target in in Dynasty formats, I would think. So lots and lots of news today. Uh, We haven't even gotten to what's been going on in spring training games, so we're going to hit that next right after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and today our guest is Liz Rocher from Yahoo's Big League Stew. And uh, we're really glad to have, have Liz aboard today. We're going to be talking a lot about the Phillies for much of the rest of the show, but I do want to check in with a few of the spring training standouts players who have been putting up some big stats uh, in the very short time that we've been having grapefruit and cactus league games and uh, particularly uh, the last day or two. So Liz, let's, let's head to KC or uh, I'm trying to think where KC plays in Arizona, drawing a blank there, but nope, uh, Peter no O'Brien <laughs> strike one on us and uh, not, not so much for Peter O'Brien so far. He has three for eight for the spring and each one of those three hits is a home run that does kind of typify what you would expect from Pete O'Brien. A lot of, a lot of power, uh, not necessarily a, a whole lot else, kind of a, a all or nothing guy, but could figure into the DH pic- picture uh, in Kansas city. And uh, any thoughts there? Uh, I, I would think, well, I was going to say, I, I would assume not much in mixed leagues, but I shouldn't assume. I should just ask you what kind of le- league would you uh, draft Peter O'Brien in? 
Um, hmm. I'll be honest. I don't know. I have not. I wish I had more to say about it. Um, I've played a limited amount of fantasy, though I do a lot of fantasy baseball reading play, despite playing in like two types of leagues in my entire life. So. Well, I mean, I, I would view him as more of a, a deep league guy just because I think that there's not a whole lot of opportunity for him to get playing time unless there's an injury either in the outfield or maybe to Brandon Moss. But, uh, you know, and it, to me it's sort of like a Joey Gallo type situation in a way because there is a numbers crunch. And then there's O'Brien himself, I think, who could get in his own way by not hitting for a high enough average, even though there's always the potential that he could just go bonkers power-wise. So uh, that's my thinking on O'Brien. So uh, I, I don't think you're missing out on much, Liz, to be honest, fantasy-wise. <laughs> I mean, if he uh, keeps that, hitting home runs every time he bats, I feel like we should all change our opinions immediately. But <laughs> That's what we do in spring training, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, Eddie Butler, maybe he'll change some minds. He had a nice two-inning outing uh, actually facing the Royals. Uh, he only uh, gave up one hit, although kind of an odd one. Gave up a, a solo home run, not to Peter O'Brien, but to Alcides Escobar, the um, the infamous slugger, Alcides Escobar. But a really nice outing otherwise for Eddie, uh, Eddie Butler. Good control, which is something that he lacked for much of his career with the Rockies. So that's part of his uh ongoing uh, rebuilding project. Nate Carnes, uh, also in that uh, that same game, pitched for the Royals against the Cubs. So, you know, it's pretty formidable lineup he's facing. Two perfect innings with three strikeouts for Nate Carnes. And here's the thing, Liz, that I find really encouraging about this outing. And again, you know, made your copy, you know, we should all change our mind. I mean, uh, one <laughs> outing, one two-inning outing shouldn't change anybody's mind. But you look for encouragement where you can get it. Uh, he, he got through those two innings in just 15 pitches. That is the most not Nate, Nate Carnes outing ever because he's so inefficient typically. But he got through those two innings in 15, um, I'm sorry, 19 pitches, 15 of which were strikes, only four balls. So, wow. Um, yeah, so that's great to see. You just want to see more of that from Carnes. And he, too, is embroiled in a, a position battle for that fifth starter spot with uh, Travis Wood and uh, Matt Strom. So, do you like uh, you like Carnes at all? Based on not so much these two innings, but you know what he's done with the Rays and, and last season with, with the Mariners. I take a flyer on him. I don't think there's any harm in that, depending on how things look in the later rounds. Yeah, see, I've been really up to this point. And again, it's so early, but kind of putting my eggs in the Travis Wood basket. And this is more again deep league, but part of that is because Wood is relief eligible in leagues where there is such a thing and so to use a, mm-hmm. a starter who uh, has that relief el- eligibility that that could be a big plus although i would think Carnes uh probably has that too he split time between the bullpen and and the rotation with seattle last year so at least in some leagues i would think Carnes has that dual eligibility but if Carnes continues to pitch like this uh, i'm probably gonna not look for any more shares of travis wood uh in that mm-hmm. in that particular race and then finally, Jared Parker also competing uh, for the left field job in San Francisco he, against the Dodgers. He went two for three with a home run and a double, and he now has two homers this spring and overall four for nine. Now this is going into uh, today's action, Thursday's action. I don't think there was that much question about Parker having the upper hand, but he's certainly helping his cause here. But one thing that I read 
was this this may also with a, a good spring may allow Parker to not just be a platoon player, but to uh, actually play almost every day. Is that something that you like for him or just generally for a player who's struggled against lefties to see them get more playing time? Or do you actually prefer that they uh, stick to a platoon role where at least their rate stats might be better? I would, I would prefer them to stick to a platoon role because it's just, it gets so complicated. If you're going to, he's going to go out against, you know, against every hitter and do badly against a certain portion of them. It's kind of really annoying. I find. Yeah. It's, I don't know. You know, I tend to go the other way and hope that they can figure out lefties or, I mean, you know, really we're talking about some, somebody who's fantasy relevant. It's it's a left-handed hitter who's going to get the bulk of the at-bats anyway against righties. And so I know, I'm always very optimistic about these lefty <laughs> platoon guys. I think, well, if they just get more exposure, maybe they can figure it out. Because if you're in that kind of split, unless it's a pretty deep league, I just think the counting stats hurt you too much, uh, missing all that time. But uh, maybe that's not very realistic. But Parker definitely fits that definition so far the other liability with parker is that he too is sort of uh, an all-or-nothing player not to the same extremes as a peter o'brien but he has good power strikes out a lot almost 30 percent in his major league career and he does walk a lot so he's somebody who will have more or less value depending on on the format so if it's an obp league or a walks league uh you know like a, a points type format that's, I think, going to be Parker's forte. But in a straight-up Roto League, uh, I don't like him quite as much. And playing at AT&T Park, that power doesn't really translate well. He's hit four of 11 career home runs at AT&T Park. So that's something that's going to, I think, hurt his game as well. So I guess what I, I'm spending a lot of time saying here is I'm really not that interested in Jared Parker, even if he continues to have a really great spring. So, uh, so there's that. But, um, well, Liz, let, let's get on with some of these Phillies questions because we really got a lot of them. And I know the next couple of segments, we're going to be breaking down different parts of the roster. But, um, and actually, as, as I'm saying that, we did get one non-Phillies question that I, I meant to hit in the last segment. Let's hit that first. And then we'll uh, probably have time for one or two Phillies questions. This one's from James at J underscore Mike 7. Second overall pick in a head-to-head categories league after Mike Trout. I think this is a really, really interesting question this year. I, I mean, my first answer was Jose Altuve, but that could just be because I'm biased and I love him so much. Uh, but I, for my second pick, I would absolutely go with Jose Altuve if I were lucky enough to have the second pick, which I so rarely am. Liz, this is awesome. Because <laughs> I just wrote a piece, not for FanRag, but uh, for FanGraphs, uh, who also uh, write for. Um, I did a, a piece uh, making the case that it should be Jose Altuve, and yet, um, according to ADP for for your site, Yahoo, for CBS, and as well as for NFBC, across the board, Mookie Betts is the runaway choice for the second overall pick. But I am on Team Altuve. Um, I'm trying to think. I think it may have been Paul Sporer from Fangraphs. Somebody was saying that um, they thought that Nolan Arenado should be. I think it's really debatable. And so to me, it's very surprising that in terms of ADP that there's so much consensus around Mookie Betts because I think those three players, you know, at minimum, all have a pretty strong case. But I'm glad to have you on Team Altuve. I just don't see how he lets you down. 
I, d- I don't. I mean, there are ways. I just don't want to talk about them in case they happen. <laughs> That's yeah. No, we don't want to do that. <laughs> but no. I agree. I agree. So, um, all right. Well, let's uh, move on to some Phillies questions here. Uh, what is which side are you going to take on the over under on Odubel Herrera hitting fifteen homers? And this is from uh, Steiner at Steiner underscore eight. I'll take the over. I'll take the over on that. I think he's certainly capable of hitting more than 15 homers or at least that many. I mean, he did that last year and I think he missed a little bit of time with injury, but he struggled pretty significantly in the second half. It still managed to, you know, to knock out 15 total. So maybe with a more balanced year, he could do either the same or more. Yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, it's a great question because if you're setting an over-under, that's, that's the spot. Because I want to say, well, he'll, he'll hit 15. The, the coin's going to land on its side, and he's going to hit exactly 15. Uh, if I'm forced to take over or under, I'll take the under, and I don't feel like I actually have a great reason to give for that. Uh, but I think he would hit 13 or 14, but I, I could really see it going either way. I think maybe I'm a little bit guilty of what I see also in the ADP data that I think Herrera is going a little bit later than he should. And I think it's, I don't know if it's just a skepticism because he was a rule five player two years ago who didn't have really any kind of prospect cred. Uh, But back-to-back seasons, he's proven that he's really a a bona fide power speed guy who's going to hit 280-290. So I don't really want to sell Herrera short, but... In this case, I guess I, I will take the under and, and sell them short. <laughs> so <laughs> Glad you're able to own up to that. <laughs> That's right. I, I will take responsibility. Let's let's do just one more. Uh, another Phillies one is this is from Gordon Gallant. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Gordon. Uh, at Gordy Gallant, will this be a breakout year for Tommy Joseph? Oh. I guess it depends on what you mean by breakout because he's not going to hit like 280, 290, but. Uh, in half, he played less than half the season, I think, or maybe roughly around half the season, and he hit 20 home runs or something like that. I think it was 21. 21 home runs. I think given that he's now their full-time first baseman, no question, he's going to hit at least that, if not more. Um, I, if that is a breakout, then then that's what it is. Then he'll be breaking out. Um, but I, I don't have high hopes for his av- batting average. I never have. But what he can give you are home runs. That is well, what I want. <laughs> but yeah, much like the guy that he could be watching over his shoulder, Reese Hoskins. And, and if I have any doubts about Joseph putting in the full year and having that kind of playing time breakout, if not a rate stat breakout, that's what I worry about. But we're going to talk about that a whole lot later in the show. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll save that up. Uh, and uh, yeah, actually, we need to head to break right now. But when we come back, We are going to break down the Phillies even more, so stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I've been joined today by Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports Big League Stew. She's also the uh, managing editor at The Good Fight, and that's the good fight p-h-i-g-h-t dot com fantastic blog and liz is also a fantastic you, follow sir. oh you're very welcome I, I enjoy your enjoy your posts and i really enjoy your uh your twitter account as well so 
whether you're a Phillies fan or not, definitely if you're a Phillies fan, but even if you're not, you should follow Liz on Twitter at L-I-Z-R-O-S-C-H-E-R. So please do that. Uh, we are going to get deep into uh, the Phillies. Uh, this segment will focus on pitching. I think they've got a, just a fascinating rotation. Uh, today, we saw Aaron Nola pitch for the first time in many, many months. And, uh, I, you know, I, and unfortunately, the game wasn't televised. So No, uh, uh, so I could not watch it. <laughs> I couldn't watch the <laughs> pitch for the first time in many months. Now, if it was televised, could you have watched it, or would it have been just too nerve-wracking? Oh, I would have watched it. Are you kidding me? I haven't seen him pitch in months. <laughs> Well, and I'm actually going to be writing about him later today uh, because this week, as I mentioned on our previous shows this week, uh, in our fantasy guide, fantasy draft guide on FanRag Sports, this is starting pitcher week, and the installment tomorrow is going to be on Boomer Bus Pitchers. My pick is for that is Aaron Nola. I'm really, really hoping for the boom. I'm actually expecting the boom, but we got to make sure that he's healthy, that the elbow's good, um, and that we see the Aaron Nola from the first uh, – two and a half months or so last season and not the one that we saw for the last uh, you know, month and a half or so uh, of the season where uh, he clearly wasn't healthy and, and just wasn't getting the results. And I guess so, since I'm already down that road, uh, we should probably uh, start there. And well, let's talk about his outing because he pitched uh, two innings and I uh, should have had it up, but I don't have the uh, ball strike ratio in front of me, but it was close to 50%. I want to say maybe 12 strikes, eight uh, balls, something like that. Um, but it wasn't really what I was hoping to see there because when things really went south for, for Nola last year, it largely had to do with a loss of command. But uh, what what are your hopes and dreams for uh, Aaron Nola this season? Uh, I mean, I, I want him to, I mean, I want him to be healthy. Um, you know, I want him to take another step in the right direction. I want him to, but I feel like saying future ace or the ace of the, the staff is so, so much pressure there. Like I want people to stop saying that and cover his ears because I feel like that type of pressure can only, can only harm them, especially, you know, with a fan base like the, you know, like the Phillies have that are just so at this point, very, very hungry for any small glimmer of success. Um, so my hope is that he at the very least stays healthy, regains some of his form. I mean, he was absolutely fantastic through like the beginning of June. Uh, I actually just wrote a little bit about him myself. Uh, he was so great through the beginning of June. And then it was as like he'd been replaced by a pod person. He was, he looked so different. Like every single time he'd go out, I, I was in pain watching him. It was terrible. Uh, and so I would just like for the opposite of that to happen. Well, I would too, and I just, I don't, I just don't think that you go from as great as he was. I mean, the, you know, it's it's hard to. I feel like it's hard to exaggerate how great he was for those first, um, you know, couple of months because he was throwing strikes. I think it was a sixty-eight percent rate, which is exceptional. He was getting called strikes at a at a rate that was practically unequaled in the majors, but still getting the swinging strikes as well. Getting a lot of ground balls. He was doing everything you would want to see in a dominant pitcher. So I just don't think you do that for that period of time. And it's not that far off from what he did in his rookie season. Uh, so I think as long as he's healthy, I don't think there's any reason to think he's going to be that far off of what he had been. I think he's a major sleeper uh, going into this year. 
Now, we did get uh, a Twitter question about him and Vince Velasquez. This is from Joe Anderson at Baseball Bebop asking, can we trust Velasquez and Nola? I think we've, we've pretty much hit Nola. Uh, and I think you can mostly trust him, especially for where he's going to draft. I think he's going much lower than he needs to. But what do you think about Vince Velasquez? Yeah, what do you think about him and how trustworthy he is? Um... I have more trust issues with Vince Velasquez, I would say. Um, I would certainly, I would certainly pick Nola ahead of him. Um, he had, I mean, he had some brilliant, he's capable of brilliance. I mean, even if it's again, you know, it was against a terrible team, but he struck out 16 Padres at the beginning, you know, almost a year ago in April, 2016. It was such an amazing start. And, you know, so he's, he's capable of great things, but he just was, that was so high up and he was never able to capture that. And I think everyone felt a little disappointed, um, but he was pretty middling for a, a decent portion of last year. So, yeah. Yeah. He, he, sort of like Nola. Um, he had a season that started off exceptionally well, and then it really kind of fell apart and he would have these occasional glimmers of, of uh, brilliance, but yet yeah, for the most part, it was more bad than good later on in the season. Now I re- I'm sure Liz, you you know you, I know you watch a lot more Phillies than I do. I mean I I recently up until recently lived in South Florida, so I would see them a lot play the Marlins. But um, I remember hearing on one broadcast that there were people who questioned Velasquez's approach to pitching that he he really was more of a thrower than a pitcher. So what what kinds of things were you hearing or, or just observing uh, in in watching the Phillies last season with with Velasquez? I I don't recall that, but I'm cert- I don't doubt one of the announcers said it. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it it could be true. I think, and it, I mean, I think it's true for a number of pitchers. But you get further into a start that's not going well, and you kind of just want to throw anything you can at it to see what might work. Um, I don't know about anything about his approach, but you know. What did I read? I read that he's trying to he's trying to add another pitch. I wish I remember what it was. Now it's like three days ago. Yeah, but, and I saw it know, report too, to and add, I also can't remember. <laughs> yep, I don't remember what it was, but um, he's trying to add another pitch, and I feel like that can't be anything but good if there are questions about his approach. If he's trying to hone things enough that he wants to add another pitch, I you know that's, that's it can't be a bad thing unless it doesn't work, I guess, but. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, I think actually the most interesting pitcher uh, in this rotation is Jeremy Hellickson. And I'm sure I could be a minority of one on this. I don't know. Maybe. maybe you'll well, tell me why. Me. I want to hear. Enjoy me. Because I, I just I think he's so underrated. And, you know, whereas with Nolan Velasquez, you know, I think the question that we got from Twitter is the one that, that everybody asks. You know, these are young, relatively inexperienced guys with tons of upside. We know they can strike lots of batters out. So. The trade-offs there and the uncertainties, they're, they're sort of predictable. But Hellickson is an established veteran. And yet last year, his last 17 starts, he really turned a corner, had a 311 ERA over those starts. And as somebody who has historically had problems with home runs, he held opponents to a 116 ISO, which is really good, especially for somebody who pitches at Citizens Bank Park for a home park. So, you know, I, I'm really intrigued by Hellickson. And I think it was also 
backed up by what he did with his arsenal, started to throw more sinkers and more changeups. He's got a really good changeup. And I think he may have figured something out. So I, I just think that unlike somebody like Nola or Velasquez, who still has, in both of those cases, they still have some, some prospect hype clinging on to them. Hellickson has none of that. And yet I, I feel like he has similar upside. I, w- I certainly agree with you. I, I was not unhappy that they decided to extend him a qualifying offer. Um, I think a lot of people were kind of annoyed. I, I knew he would take it because he's made less than the amount of the qualifying offer in his entire career. Uh, I figured he might take that for one year of pitching. Uh, and I was happy because I feel like their rotation needs someone like Hellickson. Um, I really, like, I did not expect to like watching him near the end of the year, um, you know, given with all the losing, how tired I was of watching many of the players on that team after six months. Um, but Hellickson was not one of them. You know, with the absence of Aaron Nola, watching him, do well was great. Um, I feel like I, I remember years ago at my old job, when you were at your old gig, I remember listening to one of the pod, your fantasy podcasts that advised me to pick him up. And I did. And I think that might've been his rookie year mm-hmm. where he was very good. And, you know, when someone is successful for me like that, I have a hard time letting go. You know, I didn't draft Ben Zobris for three years in a row because his one bad year I had him. <laughs> he made me sin. It made me so unhappy. So, you know, I remember that about Hellickson and watching him sort of come back after, you know, not having quite the best run of things um, has been great. You know, the Phillies sort of took a flyer signing him and it's nice that it might pay off. Yeah, well, I think so, too. I like the signing for, for both of them. Now, with the three that we've mentioned so far, Nola Velasquez, Hellickson, I see upside for all three. It sounds like you do. Jared Eikhoff is an interesting one because out of the five in the, in the rotation, I, he's the one who doesn't really fit that mold. Like I, I think that there's some really great expectations for Eikhoff, and I'm not sure I understand why. So where, where do you fall in terms of your level of trust and interest in Jared Eikhoff? Um, I, I have a fair amount of trust in Jared Eikhoff. I think – he had big expectations when he came up in, in 16 too, especially because in 2015, he started, I think what, six or seven games, something like that. He did exceptionally well. Um, and I think what we saw in 2016 was more of maybe who he actually is. You know, he's, uh, if he has another ERA, like close to two, you know, two and a half, I think that's insane, but I, in no way do I expect that of him. I think he's like a, a three and a half, four run guy who's, you know, a dependable number two or three or something like that, depending on what the Phillies need. I don't, I feel like they could move him anywhere in the rotation depending on what they need. Um, so I, I like him. I trust him. He's dependable. Um, and he's cute in my opinion. So <laughs> if you're drafting your team based on whether or not a player is decent to look at, it <laughs> cannot hurt you. All right. So yeah, the, an extra category goes to Eikhoff there. Um, well, we, we've missed one guy, Clay Buckholtz. I'm just going to shrug here. <laughs> <laughs> he, he really was, was pretty good in 2015 with the Red Sox, but so much inconsistency, so many health issues. Uh, I'm saying pass. How about you? I would pass. I mean, he's on my favorite <laughs> team, so I can't really. Uh, in life, I can't pass on him. I must watch him. But uh, in, in fantasy, please do pass. 
All right. Well, we, we are in agreement there. So, all right. Well, we got a lot more to talk about uh, with the Phillies. Lots of prospects, lots of uh, questions people have about those prospects. So we will contend with all that when we come back from break. Welcome back to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I'm joined today by Liz Rocher, who writes for Yahoo's Big League Stew, and she uh, does some great work on a Phillies blog, The Good Fight, a ph fight. So maybe just for this one hour, this show, uh, we'll spend, uh, spell Fan Rag with a PH in honor of the Phillies. <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, we got it's lots a more Phillies. It is. Thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if it works out. <laughs> um, so we uh, just broke down the uh, Phillies rotation. I was hoping to talk a little bit about the closer situation, which I think surprised a lot of people. What happened with that in the last week or so? Uh, Jenmar Gomez, I think a lot of fantasy owners were sort of hoping he would just kind of fade off into the, the, the sunset uh, and that Hector Neris would take over that role. But at least to start the year, he's it's his job to lose. Do you think he will lose it? I have no clue. He's, I didn't expect him to do what he did last year. I mean, no, I don't think anyone did. I mean, the Phillies went in, came out of spring training and into the regular season in 2016 without a closer. You know, Pete McCannon was just going to let everyone do it, and it took, it took almost no time for Gomez to, to get a grip on it. Um, so... I was surprised that, that he was named so early, but, you know, I guess in retrospect, I'm kind of not because it's worked for them and why not keep doing it? Um, I, I don't, I don't know if he'll keep it up. My, my suspicion is that he won't, especially considering how hard he fell down to earth at the end of last season. Yeah. So yeah, very bad. So are you an ERA of like 20 over his last month? I'm, I'm going to take the glass half full approach with Gomez. Though, because um, you know he's the kind of closer, like I said, very few fantasy owners really want, because he doesn't strike out many batters and he doesn't compensate for it in some extreme way by walking absolutely nobody or having a crazy. You know, he's not Brad Ziegler and isn't going to get ground balls on you know three out of every four uh, balls that are put in play. But he is pretty good at inducing soft contact, and he's been pretty good at that consistently. And he's got decent enough control that I think he's he could pitch well enough to keep the job. And like you said, really fell apart late in the season. But up until then, he was pitching with control. He was getting the ground balls. He wasn't giving up a lot of hard contact. He was he was getting it done. And I think he can this year. I wound up with him. I had a draft on Sunday, uh, a deep, deep dynasty league. But we have two relief spots. And I not really intentionally waited, waited it out and got Gomez, but the other relievers were too pricey. And I kind of had it in the back of my mind, well, if Jenmar Gomez is there, he's probably going to be cheap because nobody really likes him. And I'll be okay with that. And, and I got him and I am okay with it. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. And if it doesn't work out, then there's always somebody in season uh, you can pick up on waivers. So that's, that's my thought on Gomez. But we've got a uh, few questions on some of the hitters we haven't really locked in on them yet, uh, Liz. So uh, let's see. We've got a question here about Michael Franco. How likely is it that he finishes as a top 10 third baseman this year? And that's from Grant Zepernick. That question. 
I don't, I don't think it's all that likely. Um, he, he took a significant step back in 2016, like an alarmingly large step back from, I think, where everyone thought he might go. Uh, and he's got a lot of ground to make up before he becomes that, if he ever can. So I don't think it's very likely. I totally agree with you. And it's, for me, it's not a knock on Franco because I think that he could have a breakout this year. It's just a, it's just a good position. It's a deep position. It would take a yeah. lot for him to get into that echelon. So, no, I don't see him, see him uh, breaking into that ground. Now we've got some questions about the youth on this team. And not that Franco's not part of the youth movement, but he's been up for a couple years. But J.P. Crawford, uh, I would expect that we'd see him sometime this year. And the minor league stats don't scream fantasy stud, and yet he is considered one of the top prospects in all of baseball. And the question we have here is from uh, Nando's Rogue Button, at the Rogue Button. Uh, most seem to believe that J.P. Crawford will be a better life, real-life shortstop any indication that he might be more than what the minor leagues minor league numbers show? I think there's a a good chance that he could be. I want to say will, but I'll admit I have a, a large bias here because I I I love him more than I've loved any other prospect ever. I love J.P. Crawford, um, so I would like him to be. Um, I I don't think at least what he showed last year in AAA is a fair indication of what he can do. A number of players in AAA last year took a step back and uh, they've since replaced the manager with someone else. So I think there may have been a, a, some butting heads and differing styles. Uh, and so I, I want to see what he can do in the early part of this year. And after that, I don't necessarily see, if, you know, if he doesn't completely suck, I see no reason to keep him down much longer. And so you might get your question, the answer to your question sooner than later. Well, I, I think it's an interesting situation because we also saw uh, Freddie Galvis come into his own last year. And not that I think that he would stall the progress of one of the top prospects in all the minor leagues, but he showed some power uh, in the latter part of the season, defensively made huge strides. So I just wonder what happens there if uh, they ease Crawford in or if he just they bring him up and he takes over the position and they trade Galvis or Galvis goes to a utility role. Have you read or heard anything about how that situation might be handled? Um, no, I haven't heard anything about it. Um, no one has talked. No one has really talked about him coming up yet. I mean, I, there's, they haven't even talked about whether or not he might break camp with the major league club, which I, I he will not. I cannot imagine he would. Um, but as far as how they handle it, I think it kind of depends on how things play out in like June or something like that. You know, if, you know, if Galvis isn't doing very well, um, if his numbers are down, if he or someone else gets hurt, because Galvis can also, um, I think he can also play second. Um, if, you know, Cesar Hernandez gets hurt, you know, there's a reason to bring him up then. Um you know, have them come up for a little while. Like there's, there's a whole library of things they could do and they've done it differently with a lot of, you know, with many of their prospects and some they've done it with very badly. Um, so I would like to see this play out organically as opposed to them, you know, deciding this is what we're going to do. Well, and I think that's probably how it will play out. I mean, I, that's, I hadn't really heard it put that way before Liz, but I think that that, that makes sense because there's no need to rush Crawford. They've really beefed up the roster 
to some degree this off season. And I think that that will give these guys in AAA the time to, uh, you know, to develop and, and not have to be, not have to be rushed up. Now we got time for one more question. This is from big Mike and big Mike has a seventies uh, Phillies logo as his avatar. So I think he's you know really wanting to know this, uh, the answer to this question. Uh, rookie time frame, not just for Crawford, which you just addressed, Liz, but also for Jorge Alfaro, Nick Williams, Roman Quinn, and Reese Hoskins. Uh, will we see them before September? Uh, I think you'll definitely see Nick Williams and, and J.P. Crawford before September. Um, and Jorge Alfaro has been, was up already. Um, and there's going to come a point where he has nothing left to learn in AAA. And I feel like considering how well he's done lately in the last year or so that time is coming sooner rather than later um and i don't see why you couldn't see reese hoskins up before um before the end of the before the end of the season um roman quinn has to stay healthy in order for him to go anywhere so (laughs) he gets he gets hurt constantly and so he needs to stay healthy for more than like four weeks in order for him to go anywhere so Right. Well, unfortunately, we're we're very close to being out of time, and it's too bad because there's so many questions that come from this question. Like, if Alfaro has nothing left to learn AAA, then you know what what happens uh, to Cameron Rupp, who had a bit of a breakout last year? Or you know, the question I brought up earlier, you know, what do you do with Tommy Joseph if if, Hos- if Hoskins is ready? Unfortunately, we don't have time for that, Liz. So maybe uh, y'all should uh, bombard Liz with questions on Twitter. In any event, uh, we've got to go. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. Really enjoyed this hour talking Phillies and other stuff with you. So we will be back tomorrow with Justin Kleinschmidt. Have a great day, everybody.